0: i'm really grumpy because i've just got back from the dentist so if i sound a bit strange it's because of that i just did you get a sticker I got, yeah i got a sticker and a lollipop and she patted mm. me on the head and said i was a very good boy very um, good so, is that a thing that happens at the dentist i don't know i don't know you tell me you're the one that went i sort of walked I in haven't been for years i knew <laughs> you haven't been for look years look at these gnashes look at these gnashes you have got good teeth but you still have to go to the mm. dentist even if you have good teeth i look after my teeth and I just I had a uh, I just had a bit of a uh, I got a filling from when I was a kid and it was just cracking a bit so I went in to have it fixed today and I walked in she said how are you I said well I'm okay how are you she said oh I'm, I'm absolutely fine thank you so much and I was like yeah well of course you are you're not about to have someone drill into your skull so that was a uh, entertaining 40 nice. minutes, but now my the, the whole left hand side of my face is just numb so i can't feel it so if i start dribbling at any point luckily it's a podcast so people can't see it anyway let's put some music on and talk about golf So this is a bit of a different podcast this week because you're not actually here, which is sort of because you are here. So normally we record on a Monday morning, we edit Monday afternoon, it goes out late Monday afternoon. But you're not here. You've decided to take some time off of work over the weekend. You've taken you're taking a long weekend, so we are recording on Thursday. So it's Thursday, November the 10th, which is a few days before the podcast is going to go live. But we have got a contingency plan, and that is that we're going to talk for a few minutes about some bits and bobs that have happened in the last couple of days there won't be any talk about the ned bank so congratulate I, it's like that um that simpsons joke when he goes atlanta falcons we'll just do that so congratulations to <laughs> the <laughs> ned bank so we'll just do that congratulations to whoever won all the tournaments around the world well, this week at the time of speaking we have none other than Ryder cup
1: captain luke donald at the top of the leaderboard so Fingers crossed, I mean, we'll be editing his th- thing well yeah fingers crossed we'll be editing his name in next week.
0: So should we should we just say congratulations to Luke Donald? That's absolutely fantastic. His first win in God knows how long, and then I'll just edit it out if he doesn't win. Correct, yeah. It's a good idea, isn't it? But anyway, actually we have a lot of Luke Donald a lot of Luke Donald. We have got a lot of Luke Donald actually. I, I I he was on the very entertaining Beefs Golf Club podcast with the excellent John Robbins and the equally excellent andrew beef johnston mm. and he told he told a very funny story about the bar bills at the 2004 Ryder cup or where they said that the american bar bill was 600 was it quid or dollars where was it 2000 yeah. hills wasn't it so 600 dollars, and then they asked how much the european bar bill was and it was 30 grand 30 grand 29.99 something of which was darren clark's i imagine they said i I read it like it worked out like 2k a player didn't it <laughs> i mean that's champagne a that's a
1: good it. effort and then and then after that they apparently went to they went to some irish pub in outside detroit and apparently it got closed down at like 5am brilliant Fantastic.
0: before we carry on talking about luke and all things Ryder cup let's just have a quick shout out to subscribe to the podcast on apple spotify wherever you listen to your podcast make sure you subscribe and then every single time we publish a new podcast it will pop up on your phone and it's not just the slam of course there is from the clubhouse which is steve carroll and tom Irwin talking about all things from the grassroots game and there's hannah holden and jack backhouse on all the gear doing all your nerdy stuff for you so the big news this week is that the hero cup which is basically a return of the SEBI Trophy. It's the same tournament, essentially, isn't it? Even if it's not it's same, going right? to be called that. It's like, it's like that old partridge joke, isn't it? They've rebudged it, you fool. Tommy Fleetwood and Francesco Molinari have been named by Luke Donald as the team captains. So it's going to be GB&I team led by Tommy Fleetwood and it's going to be a continental Europe team led by Francesco Molinari. Now, I don't know about you, George, but I'm looking at this and thinking these two are now being lined up as Ryder Cup captains. And it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? Because obviously we've lost Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood, Sergio Garcia, Paul Casey, Graham McDowell, all people who were feasibly going to be Ryder Cup captains over the next 10, 12 years. Obviously, Henrik Stenson was meant to be next year's captain and he was ditched for Luke Donald. after Was he? Must have missed that. (laughs) Yeah, come on, mate. Keep up with the news. Nationalclubgolfer.com. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? So it, it looks like... I mean, Fleetwood's a funny one, isn't it? Because he's only 31 and you sort of look at the uh, ages of the captains down the years. I mean, I, I looked through all the ages of the captains since the turn of the century and it's sort of averages out around 46, 47. So you're sort of thinking Fleetwood, if he, if was going to be the Ryder Cup captain, it's not going to be for no, well, a long, long time just yet. But Francesco Molinari just turned 40. So he's someone that potentially may be a dare manor five years time. That, that might might suit him
1: i mean what you, you, you sort of aren't you sort of answered your own question didn't you, at the, at the beginning you know they've all fallen like flies um all these rider cup legends that were in line i think when you say out
0: you say fallen like flies like they're not multi-millionaires who have just gone off to be um, extra multi-millionaires nah they've gone they've gone over to grow the game alex get it right sorry sorry Good, grow the game. for goodness grow the sake game. if you're listening um, greg it's all about growing the game mate
1: yeah now they've all gone so there's not many left and i think mostly it's you know we've seen the relationship that molinari and Fleetwood would have had best buds aren't they i think it's just a good pr move more than anything yes they probably are lining them up as future captains as you just mentioned but i just think it's it'd be great to see them to you know have a bit of banter have a bit of camaraderie and it'll we'll probably just jazz up the event a bit more i think if you were to put someone else a captain it might just be a bit like meh whereas put those two in it really boosts the profile of the event which probably does need a bit of boosting doesn't it we'll see because I mean I wasn't too like me personally when it got announced to begin with I was just like oh I wasn't too fussed but now that like those two are captains and they're like they have that little bromance going on they're quite big personalities I think it makes it a lot more interesting so yeah good move and um, looking looking forward to it a bit more so that's always a, a, a positive if you if you've sold me
0: and of course given that it's GB and I team versus continental Europe where else are you going to play it but Abu Dhabi so that's going to be in (laughs) January to kick off the Middle East swing ahead of the to the Abu Dhabi HSBC is it
1: yeah I I think it'll be fun won't it as well I was looking at um like some of the names being sort of thrown out there for potential because you've got to think that obviously the Stonewalls aren't going to play in that are they for either side I don't think so really Are you telling me, that R-
0: you're telling me Rory McIlroy is not going to play in the Hero Cup?
1: He's got other things to do. He's saving the world, isn't he? So no, they'll be like, it's not going to be the main boys, is it? So there'll be loads of guys who you think, oh, will they be in the team? Will they not be in the team for the Ryder Cup? And that's going to be like their little audition, isn't it? So,
0: so let's just have a, let's have a little bit quick think about some players who we, we think might be in. So Fleetwood has at his disposal the likes of Bob McIntyre, Jordan Smith, Ewan Ferguson, Aaron Rye, Matt Wallace, Eddie Pepperell, Richard Mansell. Mm. Be interesting to see if Shameless Power comes over for it. It would show some commitments come over and playing this, wouldn't it? Francesco Molinari's got obviously Thomas Peter, the the, the Belgian pair Thomas Peters and Thomas Detri, Migliozzi, uh, the Hoygaard twins, Victor Perez. It's a decent, it's a decent. It's pretty lineup. interesting actually. Yeah, I think when I was sort of thinking when it first got announced, like, oh, who are they gonna
1: fill? <laughs> Which was a bit short sighted, I guess. But then when you actually see the names put down on paper, there's a lot of guys that. are... That are there and around and it seems like they're all emerging now that like it's the Ryder cup year it's like all these guys are just coming out of nowhere and it's exciting actually yeah well the Good two time. the
0: two pga tour players that we've spoken about before is potential Ryder cup out oh, power a uh, power and sepp straka yeah. recently as well now it would sort of it sort of seems like it would make sense for them to i mean obviously we've got this middle east swing at the start of the year as we always do there's big money involved they're huge tournaments one or two of them are Rolex events it would make sense for power and Stracker to come over and play in those wouldn't they and really cement their rider cup intentions
1: well that's what Dietrich did didn't he because he's now a pga tour player isn't he yeah. and he started the season like amazingly well but now he's come over for for this and he'll be there at the the dp world championship as well won't he off the back of last year so i think he's sort of probably got the right mix he's going to float between the two because I think I've heard him speak before and he wants to obviously make that team so it's interesting I've never I've not really heard anything from the likes of Seamus Power about it yet we'll see
0: we will see with this conversation of Fleetwood and Molinari being the Hero Cup captains Sevi Trophy Sevi Trophy (laughs) we're just going to call it Sevi Trophy aren't we brilliant they've paid so much money to sponsor that tournament and we're just going to ignore it and it it should have been kazoo (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) the kazoo cup right So. With all the talk of Fleetwood and Molinari being the Hero Cup slash semi trophy captains, potentially with them in mind being right future Ryder Cup captains, I sort of thought it'd be quite fun for us to have a look at who we think might actually be the Ryder Cup captains going forward. Now I'm gonna give you again my next I'm gonna give you my next four captains after Luke Donald and I want you to either either argue the case or not argue the case or agree with me mm. How that well like I said who, who's left who's left 2025 is a big one because before live oh the numbness is wearing off in my lip that's weird because you said wrong. the word live yeah I said live and then suddenly my <laughs> face just changed before live everyone was penciling in an Ian Poulter Phil Mickelson captain showdown at Bethpage in 2025 in front of that famously raucous or infamously raucous New York crowd it was just going to be perfect wasn't it the Saudi money was more of a draw for for both of them so not a criticism Mm. now we're back to square one so who's in the running I mentioned before about the average age being sort of late 40s if you're in your 40s and you've got a half decent Ryder Cup record you're in with a shout of being captain so who does that leave well I think Molinari probably a bit too soon for him Justin Rose is 42 now so he'll interfere 25 he'll be 45 like I mentioned the raucous New York crowd perhaps Rose is the calming influence that the team will need in what is going to be a fiery Ryder Cup
1: yeah I mean I've said I'd have said before Stenson went um, and Poulter had obviously already had the picture I'd have said Luke Donald was perfect for that role because of what you just said in terms of a more you know a calm calming influence and yeah. he's still got name value obviously now circumstances have changes have changes have changed. And I think Rose does make sense. Or I would have said Casey, but I think it needs a figure like that. And yeah, Rose won't let anything get to him, will he? He'll
0: be, yeah. he, won't, he won't be listening, so I think it's OK to say this, but I just don't think I could have supported a Ryder Cup team led by Paul Casey. What? I would have been rooting. You oh, know I, I love Paul I, Casey. Know you, I know you like him. I would have been rooting against them, I think.
1: Rooting against?
0: Um, it's sort of a similar feeling that I'm, I'm just being a bit of a woke prick by saying that I actually kind of just hope that England get knocked out of the World Cup in the first round so I can just go well it's a Qatar World Cup nobody wants to win that one do they
1: oh that is true asterisk central isn't it <laughs>
0: uh okay so let, let's let's settle on Justin Rose for no I think we
1: two. are going to settle on Rose I think it's the it's the ones after that where you start to probably have a bit more debate and a bit more curiosity so go oh, on tell okay, me what so, you got
0: so 27 Adair Manor Felt like it was absolutely perfect for Graham McDowell. Alas, he is in sensing a pattern here. He's in Greg Norman's pocket now. Not a criticism. So we'll look elsewhere. Shane Lowry's Irish, apparently. So probably too soon for him. I think he's 30. Apparently, (laughs) so he'll be he'll be either just. I'm I'm not going to look up his birthday because I can't be asked. But it's, it's either going to be just before or just after his 40th birthday, so probably a bit too see. And, you know, you try and tell me that Shane Lowry doesn't want to be on that team. So he'll be absolutely buzzing. You know what this team. is crying out for? I've just
1: I've just thought of it again. Gone. Go Molinari squared
0: co-captains. Get him in. You sort of jumped ahead of what I was going to say, but you are you, you've pushed the idea of Molinari being co-captain, the, the Molinari's being co-captains before. I sort of quite like it. I think I'm going to merge 27 and 29 here because I've actually written down that I would I I think Francesco should be the captain at Edair Manor in 27. And I think that Eduardo Dodo should be captain in 29. Oh, we obviously, again, Lee Westwood seemed to be right to be oh. for, for 29. Penciled in. What happened to him? Also, Well, well he's an employee of the Crown Prince now. Oh. Not a criticism, not a criticism. So I was thinking instead really? of making the Molinari's co-captains for one year, just split them out and have them do just go back to back. Eduardo is really, really into his stats and into his numbers, isn't he? And he's going to be a, a really important cog for the certainly for the next two or three captains in a tournament that is becoming increasingly reliable on stats and numbers. So does that mean he can make the step up to the main gig? I, I don't Yeah, think I'm not
1: sure. I think you almost
0: want him as a, what you've just alluded to. It makes him perfect
1: as a co-captain. I think we're struggling for names. So probably it's fair play you, you put him in there. Is he a big enough personality to do it on his own? I mean, like, like where is it again in 29?
0: Basel team. Yeah, see, I, yeah, I'm not sold on that.
1: Molinari squared, on the
0: other hand. You've got so them, hang on a but... second. Are you saying are you saying that Molinari squared should be 27 and 29 or are you yeah. saying <laughs> <laughs> that's, Everyone. That's, that is that is purely because you cannot be bothered to think of someone else? To,
1: well, who to, else to, is to there? You're right. But um, who was in the? I know Robert Carlson was in the running before, wasn't he? He'd probably be a bit too old by them, were not he? No disrespect to well, anyone. I don't.
0: I don't think age has to be a thing. I don't. I think. I no, think it doesn't. But we are a we have seen the much, pattern, right? haven't
1: we? Like I think you 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 wrote about it. The average age was what just under fifty, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that is a theme, but completely completely different direction.
0: Um, anyway, here's who I've who got for, for 2031. According to sources, there are three venues in the running, and they are PJ Catalunya in Spain and the yet-to-be-built Houghton Park project in Bol- Bolton, 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 Halton in Bolton, and the London Club in Kent. So happy birthday, Sergio Garcia. Here are the Ryder Cup reigns. Oh, wait, you've gone for the Saudi oh. dollar. Not a criticism. Don't at me. I don't want to hear from you about it. I don't care what your feelings are. Hang on, are. though. Hang, hang on. Can I, I'm just going to throw something out there. Are you going to interrupt my big reveal of who my 2031 captain is going to be? Well, no, it's only because you talked about Sergio. But go on, tell your reveal and then I'll uh, i buy bite back. <laughs> it's looking like it's going to be in England. Ryder Cup Europe are apparently keen for a, for a Ryder Cup in England again, as we all are, of course. I haven't had one since 2002. Tommy Fleetwood is the Hero Cup slash semi-trophy captain this year. He'll be in his early 40s by 2031. A bit younger than we are perhaps saying for a Ryder Cup captain. And maybe he'll want to play, especially if it's at Halton Park in Bolton, which is just a few miles from where he grew up but let's just make him captain imagine him being eh, sod it. if you can have if you can have the Molinari squared idea i can have tommy fleetwood as a playing captain in 2031 just he won't miles, be playing by just then. a few miles from where he grew up inspiring a generation of children in the northwest growing the game all that stuff it's almost too perfect if anything i can't really argue with that then can i you seem so
1: emotional about it and you've already taken one hit today at the dentist, so I'm not sure I can really argue with that. I'd no, no, no to playing captain. I think Fleetwood, no disrespect, I think it will be done by then,
0: which is perhaps controversial. As a, but as a player? Yeah, I mean, look at his form in the last few years. Oh, yeah, because that, that's, how, that's how it works, isn't it? Henrik Stenson and Lee Westwood, just two players off the top of my head who famously didn't tumble down the rankings into the four or five hundreds and then get back to the top. Two or three and win major. Yeah, but they were winning loads before. Not too sold on Tommy. Sorry, Tommy. Not having this at all. Someone's going to tag Tommy Fleetwood in this and I'm going to get <laughs> roped in with your nonsense. What nonsense? Anyway, what I was going to say is Go which. On. I'll give
1: you a point. Go on. on. Oh, thank you. What I'm saying is all the boys employed by said Saudi princes, what's not oh, to say the situation will be sorted by then and we will be seeing them captain in. Europe in the late 2020s, early 2030s.
0: It's a very, mm. very good point. Live could just collapse and disappear in the next year. We so. just don't know,
1: do we? We we really don't know. And I, I mean, I would not be surprised if we, if we saw them back. God, that would be another great story, wouldn't it?
0: Well, I think we'll have to watch the space on that one. Right, let's move away from the Ryder Cup because the other big piece of news is that it looks like having not seen him since he waved goodbye to us on the Swilcan Bridge. We're going to have three times Tiger Woods in December, which is quite exciting, isn't it? So he's going to play at the Hero World Challenge, his own event in the Bahamas. Then he's teaming up with Rory McIlroy to take on Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas in the seventh iteration of the match. An exhibition that's actually worth watching. I think I made that joke a couple of weeks ago, but it's a good one. So going to make it again. And of course, he will play the PNC is it PNC Challenge or Championship with his son Charlie Woods? Three rare spottings of Tiger coming this side of Christmas—that's good. Isn't yeah,
1: it? we haven't seen him since July now. Who needs Santa Claus in December when you got Tiger Woods? Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be great. I, what, I, do I
0: mean? what do you mean? What do you mean? At least my joke has some. Like it wasn't a
1: joke. It was a fact. Comedic. There's no, there's no there's structure no, behind not, it. I'm not, I'm not I'm not trying to I'm not trying to joke. I'm trying to say who needs the white bearded man. Do you remember that photo when Tiger was dressed as Santa? actually?
0: Oh yeah, that was sort of where I was going to go and it's, it was just, I oh. think, sort of had PTSD from that photograph I've been trying, <laughs> to block it out of, been trying to block it out of my mind It and, just to came it to me, I'd forgotten about it as well
2: Right, oh, so nice. because you're
0: away and we've done this chat about a couple of things that have happened since our last podcast we can't talk about the Ned Bank so congratulations to, for winning the Ned Bank Challenge a great victory <laughs> Wonderful
1: victory.
0: You had a chat with one of the, I think it's fair to say, the informed players of 2022, on, certainly on the DP World Tour, and that is Ryan Fox. So before you introduce him, just tell us a little bit about your chat with him, how it was.
1: Yeah, so we chatted to Ryan Fox. We spoke everything from his childhood, growing up in a sporting family, really, with his dad, an all-black a Rugby World Cup winner, and his granddad, a, a cricket player for New Zealand. We spoke about his sort of rise to, captain, to professional golf test captain yeah yeah test captain so he started golf late so we talk about that we talk about his ascent on the dp world tour rankings his ascent in the world rankings actually he's 26 now in the world so yeah we chat all things golf talk about family talk a bit about cricket if you're into that talk about his olympic journey he's actually played in both olympic games which was really cool so yeah have a listen if you want to hear a bit of ryan it's all there so yeah enjoy guys so what does a man like yourself do when you've got a few weeks off
2: at, at home, I do a lot of fishing, but over in the UK, not quite as much, so um, pretty, we've got a two, almost two-year-old at the moment, so a fair bit of time entertaining her, to be honest.
1: If you don't mind, we're going to sort of go back to the beginning. You growing yeah. up in, in New Zealand, obviously your dad, Grant, big big rugby player, and obviously your, your granddad was a cricketer, wasn't he? So tell me, how how is it possible you get into golf with that family history?
2: Yeah, I, I'm a, my dad always played golf, and apparently my granddad always had played a lot of golf as well um you know, but had stopped playing before i was born and um yeah i just i had golf clubs as a kid but rugby and cricket were easily my number one and two sports probably tennis was in there as well i played a lot of that growing up and yeah i don't know i gave up cricket after i left school um didn't enjoy men's cricket anywhere near as much as school cricket with my mates probably had a bit too many well a few too many concussions to to keep playing rugby and uh, I started a law degree at Auckland University and really missed competitive sport over a, a couple of month period after I'd given up cricket and thought, well, I played off two at that point, played you know social golf a little bit of penance, nothing really interesting, and um, thought, well, why don't I get some coaching and and see what tournament golf's like, see if I enjoy that, and that was me basically. Wow. So I, I you know basically played my first proper tournament at 18. I'm, you know, I played a couple of junior events at my home club over the school holidays for a bit of a hit and giggle previous to that and a, and a little bit of penance, as I said. But you know, my first proper tournament was probably at 18, halfway through first-year law, and um, I absolutely loved it, and that was kind of me from there. And a couple of years in, was starting to play well enough to you know, I qualified for a New Zealand Open. I, you know, played for – got to play for New Zealand, you know, not too long um, – I think three or four years after taking up tournament golf, and yeah, that was uni. Uni took a backseat then pretty quickly, and thought maybe I'd have a could have a career in golf. I'd always wanted to be a sports person growing up, and it just took me a while to find out what sport.
1: Yeah, so I was going to say, I mean, 18 playing your first uh, tournament is, is really late, especially by today's standards, I guess. So what what was sort of the, I guess, the moment where you realised, okay, you know, I can make something of this. I, I have the potential to to be a professional.
2: Um, probably when I was when I first made the New Zealand squad, and I think it was 2008, two, 2007, 2008. Feels like a very long time ago now. Um, <laughs> no, I, I I finished second at a at a tournament behind Danny Lee, who at that point was winning literally everything you could in New Zealand, and would go on to win a lot of stuff overseas as well, pretty quickly. USM and stuff like that. So, kind of thought, well, if I can you know get close enough to Danny then you know maybe I'm half decent at this game and made the New Zealand squad and um or New Zealand Academy and and made a couple of teams not too long after that so it was kind of like well let's give this a proper crack and, and see what happens I mean you know you still I don't know if you ever think it's a, a legitimate career path until it kind of is but
1: until it happens yeah it, it, it,
2: it was kind of one of those things where, I, you know, maybe good enough to at least give it a go and see what professional golf was like. And I probably waited a little longer than, than some people do. I didn't turn pro effectively till I was 25. I went to Q school at the end of 2011, um, probably played my first pro event when I was, when I turned 25 and early 2012. And that was, kind of, that was me from there.
1: Yeah. No, that's what I was going to ask. Cause even like you say, turning pro at 25 is a, uh... Definitely unique. I mean, what sort of memories do you have? I guess vying on the mini tours. I know you paid the australasia tour, didn't you? see so you're sort of going all around Asia, going around Australia. What sort? Your, your main memories from that time?
2: Oh well, I mean, the first event I ever played as a pro was a pro am in New Zealand, and uh, one it was a two two golf course two round pro am, and one of the golf courses still had the fences on the greens to kick the <laughs> off. Which you know, at that point, I played a high level of amateur golf. At, um, you know, played some big amateur events in the States and played that Asian amateur championship a few times. Um, and then all of a sudden, yeah, you, you kind of get kicked back down the bottom of professional golf, um, which, yeah, it was a cool way to come up, actually, to kind of learn your trade. And, you know, you had to shoot low to get a paycheck and a pro-am. And um, I had a pretty good week early on at the New Zealand PGA Championship and made, you know, probably 20 grand or something like that. And that kind of... Yeah. Got me on my way my first year. Um, you know, other than that, you know, we used to go to the islands, um, the, the Pacific Islands from New Zealand in winter, playing Tahiti and Fiji and a few other places. And that was really, that was kind of a cool winter for us to to leave the crappy weather and, and go away and you know pretty much have a if you played well enough kind of have a paid for holiday playing yeah, some and stuff. So that w- that was good. And um, I played the Aussie tour for. i mean i'm still a member of the aussie tour now but i played you know 2012 2013 2014 and then um got on challenge tour in in 2015 through a couple of invites so i got to play a few a little bit of the one asia tour which is now defunct um that was through the aussie tour they had a partnership there so you know i was lucky enough early on to get to play you know all over the world got to play some pretty good golf courses you know obviously aussies renowned for having some great courses um And then, you know, we kind of supplemented it the other way. You'd go and play some really random places in Fiji where (laughs) the golf courses were awful, but it was a really fun, fun place to play. And, um, you know, I I definitely enjoyed the first few years as a pro, but it's, you know, it was definitely tricky financially. You know, there's not a whole lot of money on the Aussie tour. There's not a whole lot of money in pro-ams, but it was kind of, if you could cover yourself, at least you gave yourself an opportunity going forward and, you know, 2014 I had a pretty decent year and, and one at the end of that and one on in Aussie in early 2015 as well and that kind of paved my way to get over over to Europe and um you know sort of gone pretty good from there to be honest it's
1: going well yeah also, I also was going to ask I mean besides the obvious which is the money like you said what's sort of the biggest step up coming over here and now now being on the DP
2: it's just the depth, obviously. I mean, the golf courses are different, but I think getting to play a lot in Aussie and a bit in Asia early, you get the golf, you yeah, know, Aussie, as I said, has some great golf courses. They've also got some tough ones as well, you know, playing some of those sandbelt courses and tournaments is pretty hard to beat. And I was lucky enough to get that on the Aussie tour early. Um, so I didn't find necessarily the golf course that much of a step up, but obviously the, the strength of field, you know, even going from from the Aussie Tour to Challenge Tour, um, you know I felt the the top players in Aussie could easily compete on Challenge Tour, and that's that's happened quite a lot over the years. But it's just the the depth wasn't quite there. Um, you know, you, you still felt like on Challenge Tour you had to play quite well to make a cut, whereas maybe on the Aussie Tour, you know, you could get away with the odd odd average week here and there. Um, but the other good thing about the Aussie Tour as well, you you know, you got to play the big events at the end of the year where you had some top yeah. players coming down. I mean, I played with with Jordan Spieth at the Aussie Open one year. Played with Adam Scott and John Sendon at the Aussie Open. Um, you know, Cam Smith played a fair bit of golf there as as well coming up. Um, so there was always some really good players. I think Jason Day played a couple of the events down there at one stage as well. So at least he had some access to to the good players, and that certainly certainly helped when when I got out on the on the European Tour at that point and. You know it wasn't probably as scary as it would have been otherwise From New Zealand if we didn't really have access to to any yeah, of the top players at all well, what
1: was it like even I mean you just mentioned it sort of there but like I guess being in New Zealand like did you watch much golf going up was there much European tour being shown or was it like was it just a thing where you'd watch the majors or was the PJ tour involved like but obviously going back again, like being, being that age, what were sort of your memories growing up in terms of watching it? And did you ever think, oh, well, that's my dream is to play here, here or, or was it just not shown as much?
2: Um, we watched a lot of the PGA Tour, especially the, the majors, the masters is yeah. one I specifically remember watching growing up. And, like, I loved golf. And if I go back on it, I probably love golf more than all the other sports in hindsight, but it probably took me a while to realise that. Yeah, yeah, But, um with the time difference, European golf was really hard to watch. So I used to watch a lot of the events in the Middle East and Asia because um, they were on in the evenings. You know, I specifically remember watching the the DP World Tour Championship, um, you know, because that that would always start at you know six, seven o'clock at night. And you could kind of watch it till ten or eleven, and and you're fine. But all the other coverage used to start at one or two o'clock in the morning, so it was pretty hard to watch any of the European stuff. But the U.S. stuff always used to be early in the morning for us, so you could you know, get up at 7 and, and watch the coverage till 11. You know, the Masters was one we used to That's do. Perfect, yeah. So I watched probably a lot more U.S. golf than European golf growing up, but that was much more to do with time difference than anything else. I, I definitely remember pulling a few all-nighters, watching opens <laughs> over the years, um, or trying to. Most of the time you'd fall asleep on the couch for a few hours in the middle of it. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> um, But, yeah, that was it was always just hard with the time difference and stuff like that. But, you know, I watched a lot of golf along with pretty much every other sport I could watch growing up and nothing's really changed in that regard. (laughs) That's
1: it, yeah, best way to be. So what's sort of been, what was like your fondest, I'd say fondest open because, but then you say your Masters was your favourite, wasn't it? So what? of the two, one, which is your favourite and two, what's your fondest memory uh, pulling in all night or pulling in all morning watching one of them?
2: I've, I've probably got I've probably got two, one for each. At, um, I was in Australia when Adam Scott won the Masters, so that was Whoa. that was huge. I mean, I remember sitting on a mate's couch in Aussie, and everyone was tense, and the whole country kind of stopped for that, which was very cool. Um, I mean, Cambo winning the U.S. Open was huge for us again. The whole oh, the course, whole country, yeah. country stopped in two thousand and five for for that, wow. and that was that was perfect timing. That was in the morning um so that was probably that was probably the biggest memory for me growing up you know cambo holding off tiger down the stretch when yeah. tiger was a f- well i mean he's a freak of nation more than once but, you know, here, he was he was yeah he was obviously the best player in the world at the time and for cambo to, to get that was was massive for us as a country and i i remember yeah missing a fair bit of uni that morning on a monday morning <laughs> watching that and um and in, in terms of an open, the one I I really remember was uh, Stuart Sink winning.
1: Yeah. Oh, actually,
2: there was there was two Stuart Sink winning, and then the one where Norman had the lead. With, you know, I kind of remember watching that and going, "Oh my, you know, Norman's going to win this. Norman's going to win this." And then I fell asleep for a couple of hours, and all of a sudden, he kind of didn't win it. And then the the we, I watched a lot of the one where Stuart Sink won obviously over yeah. um, Tom Watson. So and, and I remember sort of you know everyone wanted the Cinderella story to happen. Everyone, with Tom, yeah. Tom Watson winning and it was that was that was a cool open to watch. So yeah, there's quite, probably quite a few memories there actually. But yeah, in terms of favorite, I mean obviously growing up the Masters was probably my favorite because it was the easiest to watch and you know yeah. it being at the same golf course made made watching it a bit more interesting. You got to feel like you knew a little bit more about the golf course rather than kind of trying to learn it throughout a week. Um, but I think now playing in Europe for so long, the Open and getting to play Lynx Golf, the Open's got something special about it. So for me, the Open's probably
1: uh, oh, it a just bit, it.
2: a little bit above, but it's pretty close.
1: I guess, uh, I guess your opinion might change come next April, though. Eh?
2: Yeah, well, yeah, to get the chance to play, it's going to be pretty special. I mean, that was that was a so when I turned pro, that was what I wanted to get to, to get a chance to play the Masters. And you know probably after the last couple of years, I thought you know maybe it was a bit of a pipe dream. But um, yeah. yeah, obviously this year has gone gone pretty well, and um, it'd be hard to drop out of that top fifty come come the end of December this year. So it'll be you uh, will be nice to get that that yeah. invite in the in the mail
1: that's it that's gonna be awesome i feel bad now we as brits always love to moan about the u.s events that they run into about 1 a.m And you're saying it was even more extreme for you so oh, next, yeah. time,
2: the last next time next time i put a late one
1: i'm not i'm gonna remember this and be like oh, i'm not gonna moan as much
2: the the last group of the open used to tee off at. it used to i think it was like two o'clock in the morning for yeah. us it would finish at wow. six so yeah you, it would be an interesting um It'd, yeah, it'd be an interesting night. You definitely most of the time you'd stay up, watch the first few holes, and then they all of a sudden wake up and they're on twelve and go, "Oh, what happened here?"
1: Be like delirious, like what's going on? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah pretty much. You'd you'd ruin yourself for a few days afterwards.
1: No, nah, that's cool. So I mean, yeah, back to back to Augusta. Um, obviously you mentioned how excited you are. What are sort of your your goals for when you're for when you're there, or are you just going to be happy to be there? You know, first one.
2: Um, I mean to be honest, probably happy to be there, you know, mm. how I've played this year, I, don't, I feel like I can compete with the best players in the world if I if I play well, and, you know, thankfully I've played well probably more often than not this year, but, yeah. uh, you know, majors are a different kettle of fish, and I've always heard Augusta's a pretty tough golf course to go to first up as well, um, you yeah. know, so, yeah, just to, just to be there and experience it and and be part of that that history of the game is going to be pretty cool. So um, I've taken the whole year kind of thing, you know, not trying to put too many expectations on myself in that regard and just go out and try to play as best as I can. And I don't think anything will change in that regard, you know, going to Augusta next year.
1: Of course. I mean, you mentioned your great year. What, what's sort of been the big change for you, do you think, this year? I mean, two wins, you're now 25, 26th in the world. For you, what's really clicked this year?
2: It's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly because it doesn't feel too different than previous years, but okay, yeah. the st- statistically everything's gone really well. It's been you know ball striking's always probably been the stronger part of my game, and that's been really good all year. My iron play's been really good, um, but short game's been really good as well this year. You know, I had a little bit of a blip with the putter at Majorca on Sunday, but you know for the most part the putting's been really good all year and um, you know, that was probably my Achilles heel. My first few years on tour, it was kind of the thing that if I could just putt okay, I felt like I would contend more and you know, this year I've probably gone the other way and probably gone I've actually putted good. Um, you know, but I've gained strokes on the greens in, in that sense. So you know, I was always sort of down the bottom the first couple of years on tour, losing, you know, half a shot plus a round on the greens and just to mm. go the other way and know, that become a bit more of a strength is, has made a massive difference. And, yeah, it's just a whole lot of little stuff working. Started working with a coach over here, Jamie Goff, last year. I still work with my coach at home, but through COVID he couldn't travel. So it, it kind of ends up being a bit split now. When I go back to New Zealand, I work with my coach in New Zealand. And over here I work with Jamie Goff. And Jamie's at most of the tournaments. So having eyes on week in, week out has been really important. And, um, you know, it's very similar stuff and you know Marcus and Jamie communicate with each other so that's been it's been a really easy change but I think that's helped a lot and gone back to an old caddy I had a lot of success with when I first got out on tour as well and I think that's helped just the mentality on the golf course you know me and him get along great have a lot in common and you know pretty much don't talk about golf on the golf course talk about Mm -hmm. rugby or cricket or whatever else it is and um I kind of need that out there, and, and I think that's made a big difference this year as well.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Didn't you have, am I right? I mean, you had, you had Steve Williams on the back for a few tournaments, didn't you, back in, or was that yeah. for the PGA,
2: yeah? I've had Steve for a few New Zealand Opens now, and um, also he, he caddied the, the Aussie PGA one year for me. That
1: which, was it,
2: yeah. I mean, yeah. to have someone with like that on the back, I will say it was intimidating at first, you know, Steve. <laughs> Steve's a big, pretty, such a nice guy. But he's such a big presence and you know, you kind of feel like he's the boss on the golf course, which is
1: yeah, yeah. cool, but
2: was a bit different for me. So it was it was a little bit intimidating early on and I mean it's hard not to think. I mean, this guy's seen the best golf yeah. anyone's ever played, probably. You know, that two thousand to two thousand and five or six run that Tiger had was just absurd. And all of a sudden he's watching me hack it all over the place. That's kinda of hard <laughs> to get that out of your head early, but um, yeah, he was – I get along great with Steve. I call, he's a good mate now and um, definitely have a bit more fun on the bag than what it was the first couple of events. But, you know, to be able to pick his brains about what Tiger did and what Scotty has done and, and all the other great players he's caddied for is, is pretty cool. And, um, yes, it's yeah, – not many people can say they've probably had the world's best caddy on the bag. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's some, some record that he's had as a caddy. And, um, you know, it's pretty cool to, to, you know, someone from New Zealand to, to have that really.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what I wanted to ask. Cause you mentioned about caddy, I guess it's like someone like him. You just, you just almost use him as a sponge when you try and get as much as you can. I mean, he must've had some great stories as well. Is there anything sort of off the top of your head that, that you could share with the guys listening?
2: Yeah. I mean, he's got, he's got plenty. Um, probably the one that the one that got me, sorry coffee machine going in the background just turning <laughs> the right. off um the one that got me there's an iconic shot that tiger had on was it Glen abbey the 18th out of the fairway bunker to beat another kiwi grant weight um uh, made you know some stupid distance with a six sign out of a fairway bunker over water makes birdie, wins wins by a shot. And he said, Steve said to me, he goes, what no one realises, he goes, the night before, he goes, Tiger shot 64 that day to win. And he said, they're yeah. driving down some highway in Canada the night, the, the, the Saturday night. Someone's driving them, and all of a sudden they're on the highway and the guy just goes, Tiger just goes, stop. Driver pulls over, Tiger gets out of the car, walks to the, the trunk of the car, grabs out a club, start swinging it on the side of the road steve's sitting in the car going on oh, this is just tiger with what it what he's doing and he um he jumps back in the car after about five minutes and just goes steve i've got it we're good tomorrow i fixed it <laughs> yeah so he 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 what what i, I mean steve didn't know what the problem was nuts. or whatever but you know tiger found it on the side of i-95 in Canada wow. or whatever it was so yeah, there's, there's just lots of cool stuff like that that, you know, shows how good Tyler yeah, really, I can imagine. really was.
1: And I think it shows as well. Someone, I mean, like yourself, one of the top players in the world, for even you to come out and like, say things like that, I think it just shows the level. Because it's obviously it's easy for us, you know, just some choppers, just to be like, oh, well, this guy is incredible. But the fact that, you know, even you're all just like, what, what who is this I've, freak? Um, I, I mean, that story's I've, a joke.
2: I've heard, I've heard. I mean, Adam Scott said it to me as well. I played a practice round with, with Scotty at my first Open in 2015, and I was nervous how Steve was on the bag then, so that's how it happened. And yeah. Scotty sort of two holes in just looks at me and goes, don't worry, I know exactly how you feel. I did this in 2000 when my first Open, and I was working with Butch, and I played a practice round with Tiger. And he goes, oh, yeah, I was so nervous. I was hitting it everywhere, and he was just he just didn't miss a shot. And I was like, well, how good was he back then? he goes, look, no one... No one's had as much control over the ball as what he had. I mean, it was just scary. And when you get someone who's won a major, being number one player in the world, say that, you kind of know it was pretty good, right?
1: That's it, yeah. That just shows the level. I, I wish. Can you can you imagine if you're just driving down the road and you just see Tiger in the middle of the night swinging his club frantically? <laughs> yeah, that's what I wanted. To know. No, that's a great story. It's a great story. And I wanted to ask you just what sort of moving on as well. I know you played in a couple of Olympics, haven't you? Yeah. Um and obviously, it's pretty new. It's obviously new. There's only been two Olympics, and I don't think it's been sort of spoken about enough. The the experience of guys like yourselves who've gone out there. So, so I mean, what was it like, and, and what were your takeaways from that? And, and do you have any uh, memories from from those two experiences so far?
2: I mean, you could probably count Tokyo out as great as it was because it was with COVID and Japan was yeah. really strict. I mean, we were in the village, but it was really toned down, especially from 2016. Um, yeah. It, Tokyo kind of felt like just another golf tournament. I mean, the golf course was unbelievable—not oh, okay. yeah. a blade of grass out of place. But you know, it was hard to have the whole experience. You know, you still had the food hall and stuff like that at at the village, but it was—you mm-hmm. didn't have the team rooms and all that. So you know, going back to 2016 to be—you know—we never get to be part of a team in golf, and you were part of a, a bigger team there. So that was that was cool, and to go and sit. We had a team room in our building for New zealand and go to sit down and watch all the other sports with the athletes that did that for a living. That yeah. was cool. You know, you'd you'd watch some swimming or something, and there'd be other swimmers in the room, and they go, "Oh, they're guessing at his technique's gone," and you'd be like, "He's leading by two lengths," and then all of a sudden they'd be bang on that. You know, he the whoever was leading will get done. You know, coming down the you yeah. know the last little bit and. And you you're like ah oh, okay this is obviously we do the same thing with golf you can see when someone's a bit jittery and struggling but you know and just to get that sort of inside info and then talk to some of the other athletes about how they trained and what they did I mean we you, you almost felt bad to an extent you know some of them train work so hard for literally one event in four sure. years that they years, got. A, yeah. They get a world championship. They've got a few other things a year, but the whole thing is about one event. And you look at in golf, you know, golf's got its four majors and obviously added the Olympics every every four years. And it's probably not quite as big for some of the golfers as what well, especially that first one. You know, there were so many guys that said no to going for whatever reason. And you look yeah. at it, You've got people that have literally trained their whole lives for this moment. And it was kind of a a little bit of a weird dynamic compared to what we do and, you know, playing 25 to 30 events a year when some of the other athletes, you know, might only do five or six events or meets or whatever it is a year. It was a, you know, very different. It was just very different, really, to and very cool to be a part of. And then you've obviously got all the – all the village stuff, which was amazing. Um, you know, going to going to breakfast and dinner, and you see Phelps and Usain Bolt and stuff like that, and you know, That's just wild. so many different countries, and and literally playing guess the athlete to an extent. You know, see you'd see someone walking down the street and be like, okay, what sport do they do? And you could tell, you know, the the long distance runners or whatever. And then you'd see some. Remember seeing some guys that were like seven foot and looked like they were 150 kilos, and go, I have no idea what sport they do. <laughs> but I, I'm glad they don't play rugby or something like that. Um, yeah. So, and and the other thing cool with the Olympics was going to the other sports. Um, you know, I got to see I got to see Phelps swim. Um, and not wow. in a final, in a semi final. Um, watched a few swimming finals one night, went to the Athletics, which was the Women's 100 night, got to see Mo Farah win the 10,000 metres, and that finished right in front of us. And um, I also had a mate who I went to school with who was the captain of the New Zealand hockey team, so I got to watch them play as well. So, you know, even though we're only there for a week and we, we didn't get the opening ceremony or anything like that, you still got all the other cool stuff. You know, you got to be a little bit of a sports fan for a week, which... you know, know, I'll watch any sport on TV, basically, so to see it live was even better.
1: Definitely, and I guess that sort of team aspect as well, coming from your background, representing New Zealand must be huge, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like, again, in golf, you're never really part of a team, maybe the World Cup of Golf's the closest, the Eisenhower Trophy team as an amateur is a big one to get in, but, you know, you never really represent your country and representing your country was huge in my family, obviously. So, you know, the Olympics is, it doesn't get any bigger than that. You know, you're selected to represent your country at, you know, the biggest sporting event there is. So yeah, yeah. that was, that was very cool.
1: We'll be seeing you in Paris then, it sounds like.
2: Well, as long as I qualify, yeah, definitely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure you will the way you're playing. Uh... So just quickly touching on that as well, being part of the team. I know it was very disappointed for yourself uh, not making the president's cup team which i mean we were speaking about it on this podcast a few weeks ago it just just seemed absolutely ridiculous like the way you've been playing um how hard was that for you and, and did you still watch it and with some anticipation and okay i want to be here for the next one how did that play out for
2: you yeah i mean obviously i was disappointed not to get in um but i can also understand why why i didn't get a pick um now, I hadn't played a lot of golf after the Open and the lead-up to that where all the guys in the States were playing week in, week out, the final series and stuff like that. So it was kind of out of sight, out of mind for Trevor in that regard. And yeah. I think it's yeah. especially hard to make it from outside the PGA Tour. So I almost had to be, you know, a- an automatic pick in that regard to get in. So um, i certainly like to be there. I did watch a little bit of it. Um, yeah, you know, it was. I think they did. They did pretty well. Obviously, it was a pretty dismal first day, and the, the the team made it a lot more interesting, you know, on on the weekend there than than maybe what it looked like early on. And um, yeah, it certainly would have been nice to be there, but hopefully I get a chance in a couple of years. And um, if I can keep playing well, well, we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I guess when you sort of touched on it there, how there is still that. Um, you know, if you're on the PJ Tour, the profile's bigger, isn't it? You probably get a bigger opportunity. Is that the end goal for you now then, getting over to PJ Tour? Are you you're sort of happy where you are? Are you just going to see where things play out? I mean, yeah, the options I've are there. Re- you're playing so well, so.
2: Yeah, it's sort of one of those things. If you'd asked me two years ago, I was probably quite happy playing in Europe. The dream was to always play on the PJ Tour, but, you know, I really enjoy it over here. Um, and I kind of thought, you know, maybe maybe that dream had passed me by, um, a little bit like the Masters one, to be honest. But you know, you look at it now and it feels a lot more within touching distance. You know, I'll get a few of those top 50 starts next year, hopefully, um, and go see how it goes. And then obviously we've got the the 10 cards for our order of merit to get on the PGA Tour the following year. So I feel like next year is kind of a good a good year in that respect. I've got I've got a free year on on the DP World Tour with with guaranteed status at the end of 24. So I can kind of give the PJ Tour a crack early on if I get into those events and see what happens. And if not, then, you know, come back and play out here and try to get one of those 10 cards another way, uh, or or I guess the the normal way for us going forward. So it's kind of a, yeah, yeah, it's going to be a cool year in that regard next year. I kind of got everything to gain and nothing to lose in that regard. You know, I can definitely. get some experience playing some of those events that I grew up watching, like Bay Hill, the players, that kind of stuff. And um, if it works, great. If it doesn't, well, then, you know, I've, I've got a second chance and I've still got a job for 24, which is probably, you know, the most important thing in this game. You know, you don't get a lot of job security. So you know, having having that for, for a couple more years is really nice.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I guess sort of using next year is almost a free pass because I was going to ask you, in one year, perhaps, where would you know like to be, or where would you like to achieve? But it sounds like you're a bit risk-free next year, no?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'd love to love to get a card and do it. You know, the I guess the way it's been done the last few years, if you get in the top fifty, get in the majors, getting some of the bigger PGA Tour events and stuff like that, and then play well enough to play your way on, that would be the ideal scenario. Um, so you know, that's the goal for early next year, but at the same time, as I said, I kind of, there's no pressure to, for it to happen, you know, I'm I'm not, I'm not, I don't have to give up anything over here to do it, I obviously give up a few starts through the early part of the year, but, you know, I know I've got a job, and I've got a, I've got a second crack at it, if it doesn't work in the States, I can always come back and and play here, and, you know, after this year, no, I can kind of compete at any events and, you know, see what happens in that regard, so it's a, it's certainly a nice place to be.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, We saw how, how well you performed, obviously, at the Dunhill. Um, are you still sort of uh, soaking that in? Are you still still on the celebration, or are you you focus now ahead?
2: Because that was a great win, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that was doesn't get any better for a golfer. St. Really, Andrews. I mean, I'm a <laughs> golf, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's sunk in. I mean, all the other stuff kind of hasn't, you know, where the world ranking is, what the what I'll get into next year. I guess it'll be a bit more real when it gets a bit closer. But, um, yeah, to to win an event like that, certainly you can gain a lot of confidence from it. And I'll definitely celebrate it properly at the end of the year when I get back home. But at the moment, you know, the focus, you know, I've got got a chance, maybe not a good chance with Rory ahead of me to win the Order of Merit, but, you know, that's a, uh, that's yeah. a, cool, that's a great position to be in at the end of the year and a couple of events left to do it. So the focus is more switched to that now than, than um, you know, reflecting on on dunhill and, and sort of thinking of okay. all the cool stuff going forward see
1: that's that that's that uh, tiger mindset you know from steve that's what that sounds like <laughs>
2: oh, I, I i think every i think every professional sports person has the same mentality though of course, yeah of course. Tiger, tiger was obviously a freak with it i mean steve's again steve said to me he never celebrated pretty much anyone he was always the next wow. day what can i do better what can i do better which that's, i think that's incredibly hard to sustain for most people but he he obviously could do it but um you know i think you know while you've got to enjoy yourself and, and enjoy the success i think you you always look forward as a sports person and go well okay what's the next goal to tick off or what you know what do i want to do now you know i think the moment you stop doing that's kind of the moment you know the, the competitive edge kind of drops away a little bit
1: and I guess it's in your genes a bit as well, isn't it? Oh uh,
2: yeah, probably yeah, there's probably a little bit there.
1: I mean how how much was that installed from you uh, in you, sorry, from uh from your dad?
2: Yeah, a lot, to be fair, growing up. <laughs> he caddied for me when I was in when I played amateur oh, golf he? a lot, yeah. So there was always the no give up. I I mean, even if I go back to a kid, I'm um, being a kid, I mean he hated losing to me at anything. Yeah. It was table tennis, snooker Normal, I get, he gave up tennis before I officially beat him. He, he blamed a sore wrist.
1: But
2: <laughs> uh, I was getting close at about a 13, 14-year-old, and he didn't like it, so he just gave it so up. He stopped playing. Uh, yeah, he didn't. I remember he didn't talk to me for a couple of days when I first beat him at golf off the stick. He wasn't very happy with himself or me at that point. So that's just what our that's what it was like, and I grew up in a competitive household, and I always wanted to, to win as well. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, that whole thing, maybe not intentionally, but that's just, you know, what it is. You know, I think Tiger said it. There's been plenty of others to say it as well. It's not necessarily the want to win; it's the hate of losing.
1: Hating losing. I was going to say that. Yeah, that's fascinating, Which, isn't it? But it's go, true. Go,
2: golf, golf is kind of a crappy game for that. Because I mean, even if you look at Tiger, you know what, is He's at 28% or something like that of of wins. You know, that's compared to sports teams and everything, that's a lot of losing. You know, I think the All Blacks are up at a high 80% overall win is, rate. Yeah. So, you know, golf's a, golf's a crappy game to hate losing, and to be honest, because you lose a whole lot more than you win. So you've kind of got to change your mentality a little bit and find wins elsewhere. For sure.
1: That's no, interesting to hear. Well, I'll let you go then, Ryan, because uh, we've had you far too long, I think, of your time, considering you're off. I will just uh, pose one question, though, which we like to put to all our guests sort of when they're on. So if you could play three courses for the rest of your life, which three are you going to go for?
2: Uh, okay. I'm going to pick got to be one in New Zealand. So I'd go tough one between Eden and Tiari Links, but let's go Tiari Links because I'm, I'm attached to there. So that's a nice one. Okay. That, that's a new one in New Zealand. Um, I love Lynx golf, so I'm going to say Portrush. I absolutely okay. love it. Okay, well you yeah, you had didn't
1: you had that ridiculous uh, what was it 29 on the yeah. back 9 then, didn't you? Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. But I thought that golf course was amazing. So that mm, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, and maybe Kingston Heath actually Kingston Heath in Australia. That's, okay. as good as, that's as good as it gets anywhere anywhere in the world. I mean, anyone that's played any of the Sandbelt courses will know how good they are, and um, yeah, Kingston Heath is is top of the pile for me in that regard.
1: That's good. You have a lot of people researching those courses now. I think that's why I was glad we had you on because you you've played pretty much all over, so I knew you'd have a, a unique perspective on that on that count.
2: Yeah, well, um, I mean, yeah, have a look. I mean, Aussies, fan- New Zealand's a great place for golf. Now we've got a lot of good golf courses. Aussie's probably got a few more renowned golf courses than we do with the Sandbelt, Royal Melbourne, Kingston Heath, those kind of places. That's a great place to play as well. So yeah, do a golf trip down there. It's um it's well worth doing. But you've probably got to do at least three weeks in both countries to to do it justice.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Right, it's perfect. No good answers. And uh, yeah, no, thanks again for, for coming on, Ryan, and best of
0: luck of the, the, the D P in a couple of weeks.
2: Cheers, George. Thanks, mate. Right, that was
0: George chatting to Ryan Fox, which was very good. Uh, I was going to say I was going to say that if Ryan Fox wins the Ned Bank or has won the Ned Bank, because this will go out after the conclusion of the tournament, then we're going to look very silly. But if you're wondering why we didn't at any point mention the Ned Bank Challenge, <laughs> however Ryan did, it's because that was recorded a week or so before. Thanks for that, George. Really appreciate it. We'll be back next week where we will be wrapping up the DP World Tour season after the DP World Tour Championship.